You're listening to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 57, the third part of our series of interviews we recorded live at South by Southwest. If you haven't listened to the first two, I suggest you go back and do that. This one is all your questions and our answers. How to balance separate cultures in the same corporation, how to manage a portfolio for innovation, what even is innovation, and what does it take to achieve? All this and more on today's episode to help you get inside-outside innovation. If you haven't bought tickets to the Inside-Outside Innovation Summit yet, it's not too late. June 19th through 21st, with dozens of startups from fintech, marketing tech, insurance tech, and others, and over 500 attendees, this will be the hub of innovation outside the valley. Connect with us at theiosummit.com and the IO Summit on Twitter. So you spoke a lot about uh, corporations and their need to keep the doors open and to uh, have that attitude of learning, but specifically what are you referring to? Is that a cultural problem for the company? Is it a matter of leadership? Is it a matter of their employee base? Um, I'm curious where you see the the source of that problem being. It could be both, but if you really want to change, it has to start from the top. I mean, the CEO and the C-level, but especially the CEO, he needs to be open for innovation because you can have very talented people and other departments or a specific department could be really open to innovate, but at the end, corporate innovation, you know, goes to the CEO. So is the CEO the person who needs to transmit that willingness to learn and also the possibility to open the doors to any other talent or startups that are coming from abroad or outside, but everything starts from the CEO. I think what we've also seen is that the further into that disruptive area that Fernando was talking about, the more radical some of the changes might need to be to be able to support that. I'll just give you another one uh, in the multiple choice that you said, and that's uh, compensation and incentives. If I'm somebody who my bonus is related to performance or profit or any of those things, and then all of a sudden you're also sending down this corporate mandate to be more creative and fail fast, and all that, that's the antithesis of what I'm actually being rewarded or probably going to get promoted to do. And so there are some of those deep processes that you probably want for 90% of your business, and so you don't throw that out. Well, and your talent in, in and of itself has probably been brought on board because they're experts at optimizing that. And they may not actually be the type of person that wants to be a founder or is capable of being a founder. And so from a talent perspective, you've got to know who's on deck to help move the ball forward too. Which is why we fully support, as well as it's now up to like 80% of the Forbes Global 500 is figuring out how to do collaboration with startups for that radical and transformational innovation. Because they're starting to see that you can spread your bets a little bit more, it's a little bit less risky. Uh, there's still a lot of other challenges, so it's not the be-all, end-all so, oh, to it, but it's absolutely something that where you don't have to dive into a lot of those other issues. And I will add something else. is This is not a speed race. It's an endurance race. So it's going to take a, a while. And if you as a CEO, you are not willing to also to have a failure as an option, nothing's going to happen. Thank you. There was another hand right here. Quick question. So the uh, idea of CEO and kind of what they're incented on and what they're driving the corporation on makes a lot of sense. But if I'm CEO, how much do I spend if I've got a portfolio to manage? And how do I decide how much of that to allocate on the risky bets? Because if you go to Vegas, and it's kind of Vegas out there, how much do you do? And how do you balance that across getting disrupted out? 
There's a, there's a whole field of study called Innovation Portfolio Management that, that really starts to ask that specific question. And a lot of it is dependent upon the context of what's going on in your industry as well as any other macro or global threats. And so uh, the typical innovation portfolio approach that people look at is kind of those buckets of core optimization improvements, the things that are adjacent or augmentative to your core business, and then those really radical transformational types of things. And, and there's recommendations that, that that last bucket could be anywhere from 1% to 10 to 15 to 20% of whatever money you're pushing towards innovation or R&D, completely based upon the context of what's going on externally. Uh, there's a gentleman named Andrew Breen from American Express that has a couple of good slide shares out there on kind of what, how you even think about that, as well as that's actually in our day jobs, that's some of the stuff that we help corporations with, is think through what are your business goals, and then because of that then, what is the innovation framework that you should actually be looking at? You know, and I think that's where a lot of corporations actually fall down. Is they hear innovation, and innovation is just such a nebulous term nowadays, it really doesn't mean anything, because it means everything. So how do you actually define what innovation is within your organization, and specifically, innovation close to the core versus transformational, and then apply that to what's going on contextually in your industry and with what talent and opportunities that you have already you know, based within your organization. So I think from that perspective, you've got to have that framework first and then from there decide how we're going to place the bets. Because innovation is the, the hot buzzword right now, you see a lot of things being thrown at the wall. Uh, let's, let, let's do a hackathon. Yeah, yeah, and, God and bless you guys at Target, but you're in the Midwest and we're down in Nebraska. As soon as Techstars Target came out, we had all these calls from businesses saying, should we do an accelerator like Target? And the first question is, why? Maybe, I don't know, but why? What are you actually trying to do and where are you trying to go? Based on some talks that I had some, with some CEOs here in the United States and even Latin America, they, they are kind of confused among the concept of creativity, invention, and innovation. And that's why, for example, they asked for the hackathon, and that is something that will bring creativity and probably some invention, but it depends if it solves a problem, it's going to become an innovation. So right now, what you said, I mean, an innovation for Target probably won't be an innovation for Walmart or vice versa. So it depends on the stage of every single company and what you really want to, to create. Creativity is good because it brings many more ideas. Invention is good as well, but what really matters on the numbers, valuation of the company and stock price is innovation. So it depends on the reality of every single company and it depends on the reality of every single region as well. Yeah. I think corporations also fall down where they're looking at, they want to find that unicorn. You, know, you hear about all these great things out in tech crunch and it's like super easy. We just pick some startups and we'll find it. And so you see these innovation labs popping up and, and maybe only two ideas are coming out internally. Well, that's probably not enough bets to make it work. Or you're seeing it where you're placing a couple different bets. It really does have to be part of an overall plan and a, st a strategy on how we're going to place our innovation bets and how we're going to make that move forward. I have an announcement. We are hiring. <laughs> yes. So we need a CTO. We need a director of marketing as well. And we need somebody that help us on finance, uh, especially as well. So we have these three positions. You can go, you can go to inspectorio.com. You will see the careers over there. And there is the open positions that we have. So if you want to apply on, on your network, you want to just help us sharing this information, inspectorio.com. And then careers, you will find the positions that we are looking for. So hopefully we can be together, a team in Minneapolis. 
All right, thank you, Fernando. Round of applause. We had a couple of other people just talking about some of the things that they're working on. Product design was mentioned by a couple of people, and specifically some questions around product development, uh, how you start to incorporate that, as well as how you can accelerate innovation around product development. Brian, do you got any thoughts on product, product development. development as it relates to innovation? Maybe even specifically this push that we're seeing to think even more customer-facing and, and customer outside-in in terms of the focus on what we're doing for our product development? Well, I think some of the things that have changed uh, and that have allowed this rise of the startup is, is, quite frankly, the tools and the technologies. The price of those particular things have come down. So I've been in technology most of my life. And, and you know, 15 years ago, we were I was out in Asia building uh, websites when it cost, you know, $2 million to build a website for Cathay Pacific Airlines or, or HSBC Bank. And you look at those tools and the products and, and that back then versus what you can do now and the cost and the ability to create something and experiment uh, ha has never been easier. And I think that's why you're seeing this rise of the startups. Uh, in addition, you have access to markets that you've never had access to before. So, you know, before, if you thought you wanted to get to a mass audience, you probably had to run TV ads or um, magazine ads, things like that. Now you have Facebook and Twitter and different ways you can go directly to consumers. So I think the convergence of the both technology costs as well as access to markets has fundamentally changed the way startups and, and new businesses can be created, but also how corporations can uh, adapt to that. I think where they struggle is a lot of times they're not familiar with a lot of the tools, they're using legacy systems, they're scared about their brand, they're scared about how they can not disrupt their already engine that's moving their business forward. Uh, and I think that's where the opportunity exists for corporations, where they can tap into new tools, tap into new startups, tap into new markets, but do so in an iterative way that they haven't had that opportunity to do so in the past. Uh, there, as, as well as advantageous for this idea of corporate startup collaboration, is uh, everything that we're seeing is that pace of change in technology is only going to speed up. And so the ability for corporations to adapt and continue to understand how to work in that regard, um, maybe at best will keep pace, but if not, it may continue to lag behind. And so figuring out ways to be able to hack that and start to work with startups a little bit more. Yeah, incremental innovation is just table stakes now. I mean, you have to innovate, but that's only going to get you to where you currently are at. You really have to do uh, a little bit more over and above if you really are going to have your say for the next century. So, so what do I do if I'm in a government agency, right? Something, or something else that's extremely regulated? And now all of a sudden I'm hearing, oh, all this technology is happening. I need to figure out how I can move faster. Uh, what are some things that heavily regulated or government-type agencies can do to still be innovative and move things along? Well, again, I think obviously partnering, we talked about that quite a bit as far as looking at folks that aren't, maybe we don't have the risk if they fail <laughs> to partner with those types of folks. I think that's why you're seeing startups in regulated industries take bigger risks because, quite frankly, they have less to lose. You know, if, if they go bankrupt or if they stub their toe, it's, it's not as impactful as if, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield makes a, a big mistake, something like that. So I think partnering is one particular idea. I think also being open to experimentation. There's a lot of things you can do that aren't going to necessarily destroy your brand or, or kill your existing business model, but getting into the, the mindset of how can we learn faster? And, and I think really it's, it comes down to that. How can we learn faster? How can we run experiments that get us to knowing something a little bit more, de-risking our assumptions so that we can get to the next level? I think having a specific lab setting or something that's a little bit outside of the business line is also important because you can start to set up a little bit different regulations or different metrics or different awards, something that's shielded a little bit from, from the others. Uh, some larger insurance companies that we're working with have decided that 
rather than just go find startups and then throw them over the fence to work with the business lines, they need to make sure that they have an innovation proof of concept team or a pilot team who can, one, uh, be experts about knowing how to integrate and get some pilots and projects actually going, but two, also absorb some of the financial risk. Uh, it's, it's extremely difficult if you're telling this business line, hey, I've got an idea for you. I don't even know if it'll work, and it's really far out there. Good luck, right? But if you can bring to them the innovation engineers, I think is what American Family uh, calls it, and, and uh, GE or Intuit has their, their VIP group. That's these people who are supposed to know how to move innovation forward within business lines, but then also take some of that budgetary risk off of it too it is a great way. I think I've seen them learn some of this just looking at our OPM people over there. They learned it from the campus recruiting space. Some big corporations have done a great job when you're recruiting interns and saying, you know what, because we know that that's a pipeline and you're going to train interns for the first year, uh, the campus recruitment team will just pay for their salaries for the first year. It doesn't actually impact your headcount. And so doing the exact same thing in the innovation space is a good way to be able to uh, get some of your stakeholders within business lines, within processes, to be a little bit more excited about what you might be bringing to the table. Questions out there. Caleb is uh, enjoying the steps being put on his pedometer. Uh, Linda? Uh, let's say you're fortunate enough to have some kind of corporate innovation program and you stumble upon something great. How do you uh, avoid getting that idea to market and then it getting corporated to death, right? They go, that Now you've got something special, and then now it goes through legal and all this other stuff, right? And then, and then the idea starts to die. Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, again, running the correct experiments. Uh, and the more you can run experiments in market, where the corporation doesn't have to make the decision if it's, if it's good enough, if you have data from the marketplace, and the market's saying, we want this, and, and you have done experiments, and customers are coming to you based on those types of experiments, that's a much different story to go back and tell your boss and say, hey, we have traction here. You know, traction solves a lot of worries. Uh, if you can go out and prove data, uh, this is not just my opinion. This is, we've run experiments. This is actually what's happening in the marketplace. I think that goes a long way to helping that buy-in. So let the market make the decisions for you rather than you guessing if you're, if you're on the right path or not. There's, there's also this uh, trend in larger corporations that if you're going to start to free up product teams or innovation labs to be more experimental and maybe not have as many check-ins, that the balance uh, in the check-in balances that you put onto that is uh, taking a look at innovation governance, right? Uh, think of the old stage gate models of product development, but a little bit earlier on in terms of the idea and the exploration stages. And being able to have a cross-functional team that serves, uh, people call them growth boards or product councils or investment committees. It sounds like extra governance, but if you help them see that maybe the metrics they're looking at are not uh, what's the net present value of this particular idea, that you, but instead it's how many experiments have you run. And if you're able to prove that 20 of these 40 customers actually need this thing, then great, we'll unlock the next tranche of $20,000 or whatever it might be. And treat it, again, as an investment strategy. Uh, you're able to start to create some of that lax. Because then when your legal team comes to you and says, I don't know if we can work on this, you say, great, let's join this cross-functional team that we have so that we can get some of your issues and ideas out of the way. The other thing that we've seen is having a fast-track program for uh, maybe new vendor approvals or uh, getting through some of the regulatory or compliance things or doing stuff off-brand as, as three other ways that people are deciding this is some ways that we can continue to make things a little bit faster in our organization. Uh, it is very difficult, though, to if you've got a beautiful baby, to not uh, corporate it to death, like you said. So uh, the, what it, a general rule of thumb is the further away it is from your core, 
the more it'll probably survive if you firewall it off somehow. There's cons that come from that, but being able to firewall it off a little bit so that they have different structures and different comp and different people and different managers uh, ends up working pretty well. Thank you, Linda. Any other questions? We've got three minutes left. How do you manage that tension then if you wall them off and, and kind of have a corporate different environment so that it's not, I mean, you're creating an entirely different corporate culture and ecosystem, or are you trying to keep that within the confines of whatever existing culture you have, or how do you manage that balance? Sometimes you want that different culture, quite frankly. Uh, and so, again, a lot of it comes down to understanding where that talent's coming from. And it's sometimes the people that got you there are not the people that get you the next level. Um, and so thinking about if your innovation lab is really designed to do this transformational stuff, it probably should be further away. It shouldn't necessarily be the same people that are working in the optimization engine. Uh, and that's where you're probably looking more for partnering and, and startups. So a lot of it depends on, again, how close to the core, how, how much expertise and domain expertise is required to move that idea forward in the marketplace. But again, a lot of it comes down to working in the marketplace. You know, again, I think a lot of people... In the past, that, that's the problems with entrepreneurs too, is like you come up with an idea, you spend all your six months and building out everything and then eventually you launch and then you realize, oh yeah, they don't, they're not using it. Or, or that feature that took me three months to build and 60,000 bucks, they're never touching it. Um, so how do you do these iterative type of building experiments in market that allow you to incrementally de-risk the, the idea that you're building? The other thing is to embrace that you will have tension. And that's okay. Uh, getting into complexity is an okay thing, as well, if it's leading to growth, right? It's, it's the stretching of muscles that you need. I'm, I'm going to look at you three on the couch again. I'm sure there were some conversations when you were talking to their tech team or their marketing team or other things at some point where they were like, or, or maybe, I mean, you're, you're doing things a little bit different or they're going to rub a little bit differently than maybe the way they've done things in the past. And the way they have it done is really efficient and really effective right now. And so the way that you might come in and do it. So you're probably going to have some of that tension. So how can you, a little bit to what Brian was saying, get some early small wins or pilots or other things that are going on so that you can have enough support to help you through some of that tension. And trust, trust. in the, in the and process. Trust. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that I see lead to trust pretty well is an alignment of why are we doing this. If it's just we're going to do a Shark Tank pitch competition, and uh, all these great ideas are going to come out, but it isn't actually aligned with, we're doing that because it's going to have this impact on our culture. It's going to have this impact on what we think are going to come out of it. It's, it's easy to break away from those things. So trust as well as alignment of how this actually connects back to your business instead of just an innovation tactic. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for joining us. If you've got time, leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to hear about a specific industry or problem that you're encountering, let us know and we'd be happy to get you some answers. Until next time, go out and innovate.